Good morning, church. Would you stand with us? Father, we, just, we thank you for your presence. God, we come expectant in this place today. We set aside this time just to focus our attention, our thoughts, our worries, our cares. God, everything that we are, we, uh, we direct it to you and we lay it at your feet. God, we set aside distractions to come and to lift you high above everything that we might go through. God, knowing that you are God, that you are eternal. God, and that you are in control. We thank you for this time to come together in unity to worship you as one voice. You are. 
by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Jesus said, the first commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you absolution, remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Glory be to God on high, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. We praise Thee, we bless Thee, we worship Thee, we glorify Thee. We give thanks to Thee for Thy great glory. O Lord God, Heavenly King, God the Father Almighty, O Lord, the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, that takest away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. Thou that takest away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. Thou that sitteth at the right hand of God the Father, have mercy upon us. For Thou only art holy, Thou only art the Lord. 
Thou only, O Christ, with the Holy Ghost, art most high in the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let our praise be your welcome. Let our souls be inside. We are here for you. We are here for you. Let your breath come from heaven. Fill our hearts.
breaking 
If you feel comfortable kneeling right now, I just really feel like God wants us to lay some stuff down. And that first step is just surrender and obedience. And this physical demonstration is a spiritual act of what's happening, of, of surrender and obedience to what he's doing in this room. So, God, we just surrender to you right now. We surrender everything that is on our hearts, God. And we proclaim that you are king. God, we trust you. God, we're sorry for not trusting in you and for missing it sometimes. But God, we want more of you. We want more and we want to be refreshed by you, God. We want to be restored. We want to be healed. And so we just step into that because you're already doing it. God, you're already in our midst. And so we just surrender to what you're doing and we walk in it right now in the name of Jesus.
The Lord be with you. Let us pray together the collect. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, increase in us the gifts of faith, hope, and charity, and that we may obtain what you promise, make us love what you command. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. This morning's first lesson comes from the book of Deuteronomy, beginning in chapter 34. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea the south, and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his grave to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. But since then, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, and all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, before Pharaoh, before all his servants, and in all his land. And by all the mighty power and all the mighty terror, which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. The word of the Lord. Please stand for the reading of the psalm. This morning's psalm is Psalm 1. We will read Psalm 1 responsively by the half verse. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. 
This morning's second lesson is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. The word of the Lord. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. St. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies my, your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. The gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's open in a word of prayer. Lord, I just pray today as I stand here and I offer up the words that you've been stirring in my heart as I've been praying and meditating on your scripture, that you would speak through me to your people. I pray that anything that I might bring that might be a stumbling block or a hindrance would be pushed away and that I'd rely on the strength of the Lord to share the word with the people. And Lord, I also just declare by faith that you have something you want to impart to us today. And I pray that you'd make it so. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Welcome back. 
to another episode of Godly Finances with Jesse Harris. <laughs> um, we've been talking about finances for a few weeks now, and, uh, you know, there's an abundance of literature and wisdom about finances, but we're trying to talk about it from the perspective of what does God have to say to us about our finances, specifically, right? Because I honestly don't think God cares most of the time whether you get one type of investment or another type or you get this type of savings account or a CD. I don't think he often cares about those details. And there's lots of other people who can tell you how to do that. But today I have the privilege of talking about probably the most challenging aspect of money, but I would argue the most amazing, abundant, fruitful aspect of money, and that is giving. So strap on your seatbelts and get your wallets ready. It's going to be a fun ride. Um, The point today, as I mentioned before, is not to make everybody here give the biggest offering they've ever given. That's not the point. It's not about the money. It's about your hearts. It's about our hearts. And trust me when I say I'm preaching to myself. And that when they come up with these sermon series and they throw out one, let's do one on finances, this was the one I was not looking forward to. Because it's a place that's difficult, that's hard. I've struggled with my finances, knowing how to spend it, when to spend it, when to save it, when to give it. I've had times where I can feel that God has asked me to do something with my finances, and in my own greed and selfish ambition, I have not done that. Or I've had times where I wanted to do something, and I heard that warning bell in my conscience that the Holy Spirit was saying, yeah, that might not be a good purchase, and in the heat of the moment, I went and bought it anyway, or I did it anyway. So I say all that to just lay a little foundation here. None of this is about making anybody in here feel guilty about what they do with their finances. It's not about getting you to give more money. It's about what does God want to say to your heart about how he wants to transform you so that your finances are no longer a burden to you, so that your finances are no longer a point of stress, so that your finances become a place of empowerment. I know a couple people where they have learned this lesson so well. And so they may, of course, I don't know their inner hearts, have anxieties about finances, but the way they live their life is a testimony of how to trust God, no matter what the circumstances are. And I wouldn't be surprised if they told you they hadn't been anxious about finances, because they have this grace about them, this patience, this wisdom. And I want that for my life. So we're going to talk about some things, but I just wanted to get that out of the way. And you know, money's about... A couple things. The stuff I'm going to talk about today, I don't actually mention these concepts in my sermon, but keep these in mind as we talk about it. First of all, giving is about faith. First and foremost, it's who do you trust? That's the first question you have to ask about giving with your money. Secondly, this sermon's all about what we just sang about in that song about new wine. Make me your vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. In order to do that, sometimes God has to challenge us in the area of our money. So we'll talk more about that later. But if you have the heart where you really want God to make you who he wants you to be, then he's going to ask you to listen to what he says about finances. Last week I mentioned Jesus talked about two things the most, right? First of all, the kingdom of God. And second of all, money. Because money matters. That's my summary of last week. All last week what I was saying was money matters and God cares and it's really all his. Summed up, I could have said that last week and we would have heard all the same words. (laughs) But let's go in and we're going to talk 
a little deeper about this concept. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. And this is Jesus. He's talking his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And in the center of this thing, he has this amazing passage all about money. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we'll go back and talk about it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, there's a middle passage in there that we'll get to that sounds like Jesus changes topics. He All of a sudden, he's talking about money, and then he says, the eye is the lamp of the body, and it's like all this language, this metaphor, and it's like, what is he talking about? Just hold on, we'll get there. Let's start with the first part that's obviously the key passage that many people use to talk about money, where Jesus is telling us, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I summed it up a little bit there. The first thing I want you to notice is that you choose what your heart belongs to. That actually what Jesus is teaching us is that you have a choice about where to put your heart. You will love what you spend your money on. You will love what you spend your time on. You will love what you spend your energy on. It's just the way that we are made is that we devote ourselves. Our affection turns towards what we invest in. For instance, we often talk about how you fall in love. But that's not really what happens, right? At least if you're, not, at least if you're doing it right. Falling is far too unintentional for something that could change the course of your entire life. We have an option when we find somebody that we are interested in to choose whether to love them or not. If you're married, you probably know that this is the case. It's not just an automatic thing that happens in your heart. It's like, oh my gosh, she's so great. She's so great. No, that's not how it is. You have to choose to love the person. I'll tell you, when I first started dating Haley, I have to admit, she actually asked me to coffee first. It was awesome. It was great. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. I knew her very, very briefly through our connections at church. I'd met her a couple times, but then she asked me to coffee and we sat down and she will tell you we talked for five hours. I think it was three, but it was enough. She felt the weight of how long she had to talk to Jesse Harris for her first conversation, as you all might understand. It was overwhelming. It was a lot. She was convinced when she went home that she wasn't talking to this kid again. But I decided in that moment that I was going to go after her. And, you know, I spent more time and effort and money on her over the next three years than anything else I'd ever done in my entire life. And it was worth it. And I fell deeply in love. Or let's say I chose to be deeply in love with her through those actions. And you know what? I won in the end. She said yes. And she came. And now she's my wife. And she's stuck. 
So the point is here, right? There is a choice that we make with our heart. We often feel bound to things. We often feel like, I love this show so much, or I love this car so much, or I love this thing. I'm bound to it. But did you know you chose to get there? You spent time, you spent effort, you spent money on that thing. Particularly when we talk about money, what Jesus is saying is, if you understand this about humans, then you'll understand that it's way better to put your money in heaven, on heavenly things. We also say this phrase, right? Seek first the kingdom of God then all these things will be added unto you. It's all about your priorities. Where are your priorities? Where is your heart? Where is your affection? And that's what leads us to this next verse. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So let me unpack that a little bit. The point is, What you look at, what you give your attention to, is going to ensnare your heart. What you pay attention to with your eyes is going to change your heart. So if you're paying attention to, I'm looking for an appropriate word from the pulpit, bad things, then you will be ensnared by bad things. Let me me give you, everybody knows this in the big corporations. The people who have all the power and the money, they know this about your eyes. $240 billion a year is spent on advertising in the United States, and it's only growing every year. We can't even really comprehend billions of dollars. Like, it doesn't make sense in our brain, but billions and billions of dollars, huge amounts of money are spent. And do you know how they talk about it? They want eyes on their product. They want eyes. They want to capture your eyes on your phone. Facebook wants your eyes because they understand fundamentally What you pay attention to, you will spend money on. That's it. They know that if they spend $240 billion on advertising, they will get multiple, multiple returns. They will get billions and billions and even maybe trillions of dollars from that $240 billion investment. They're smarter than we are oftentimes. We often don't even pay attention to what we watch, what we see, what we're looking at. It's actually a really, it's a blessing and a curse that Apple came out with this thing where on Sundays it tells you your screen time. It's like so perfect because right as you're walking into church, it's like, you spent four hours a day on your phone last week. And it's like, ooh. If you're paying attention, you'll know that that might not have been a good use of your time or your attention, your eyes, right? That's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about money. He's saying, put your treasure in heaven Because if you look at all these other things instead of at heaven, then you'll be full of darkness. Look at the heaven. Look at light. Pay attention. Get your priorities straight. There's that old hymn that came to mind. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. You should look it up. It's a great hymn. But the point here is that there's something that God wants to tell us about turning our affections, our attention, our eyes upon him. I just have to give one shout out here. I was texting Kristen, and I was like, hey, can you do this song um, for, wor- for worship on Sunday? I think she's going to do it at communion. But uh, I said, this is the part that stuck out to me. And she goes, oh, man, God's been talking to me about my attention this week. So she's in the flow over there. you know. She's pretty- but it gave me such confidence that the Holy Spirit wants to say something to us specifically about where we're giving our attention. This isn't just a teaching that we just go through our curriculum every year and then we learn a little bit more. No, God specifically wants to talk to you about where you're giving your attention this year. 
in probably the most distracting year in the history of the world, he wants us to give our attention to him. There's so many things who want to get your eyes. Okay, let's move on because Jesus gets real. Let's say he, get, he, he tells it to you straight in this next verse. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Did you know there's no other verse in all of Scripture that puts it that plainly? There's no other verse that says you can't serve this and God or God. You know, you, you, that separates it so clearly for us. It's like they, that's actually a sign of who we serve, where we put our money, period. You can look at somebody's budget, your own budget, preferably. Don't be looking at other people's budget, right? We don't want to judge other people, but you can look at your budget and you can say, where am I putting my devotion? Am I serving God or am I serving my pocketbook? Am I serving my money? But the objection comes again and again. It's my money. I earned it. I deserve it. Or maybe you don't really think about the money part. You think about what the money buys. I deserve this car. I deserve this house. I deserve this bottle of scotch. All the things you guys like too. Haley, she deserves the hair products. I don't know. So there's things that we think we deserve because it's our money. But you know what? It's not our money. All good things come from God. And if you've ever had a miraculous provision from God when you had nothing and he just came through and he got you that meal or he paid that bill, then you know all of our provision is from him. Jobs, they go away. Companies, they fall. Even countries as great as the United States, they don't last forever. The only thing you can count on in this life is the provision of God in your life that he will see you through. That he'll carry you through. And that doesn't mean, right, that doesn't mean he's giving you Rolls Royces and all that stuff, right? That's not what God's about. He's not about materialism. If you are still thinking about, well, God didn't pay this bill or I don't have this thing that I want, then you're missing what God wants to do. What I mean by God will provide is I mean that he will guide you to where he wants you to be, which may be poverty. It might be poverty at times in your life. But if you rely on him in those moments like Jesus did on the cross, then he will bring you through that death and into resurrection. That's the promise we have. And he wants you to prosper so you can trust him even if it hurts. All that to say it's not your money. We need to get that deep inside of us and we need to trust God. Because then if we realize that, then we realize that the truth of the matter is God gave us that so that we could steward it for him. And that gives us so much freedom to then, he loves Like, God's not against you enjoying your money or spending it on things you like. He loves that. But first, we have to have that heart posture. It's the priorities. It's like, seek first the kingdom of God, then all these things, food, clothing, all the provisions that we need, will be added to you. So just get your priorities straight. And there's two ways that God will use to transform our hearts so that we serve God and not money. That's the tithe and the offering. Those ones usually get rounding applause, you know. Tithe and offering. So let's talk quickly about the tithe. I know most of you in here have probably heard teachings about the tithe. So I'm just going to pull out a couple of things. And if you have questions, you can let us know. We would love to talk to you about the foundation for that stuff. In fact, our founding uh, patriarch, Archbishop Adler, wrote a book 
on tithes that we have many copies of. Really powerful. Convicted me. Um, let's, let's talk about Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. And this is God talking to the Israelites. And if you read God talking to the Israelites in the Old Testament, you know he is, he doesn't, um, what's the word? He doesn't like sugarcoat anything. He just gives it to them like Jesus does in the gospel. He gives it to them straight. And so he's talking to him and he's saying, return to me. If I had to title this message, that might be the message title. It's not about the money. It's about return to me. And so he says, return to me. And then the Israelites say, how shall we return? And then God replies, well, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, these are the Israelites, how have we robbed you? And God says, in your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. That is convicting, right? That's a scripture that you don't put on your wall at your house when people walk in with the flowy letters. It's like, how are you robbing me in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed. It's a hard scripture. It's easier to read the stuff where he's like, I love you, and I died for you, and I want you to be happy. It's like, that's easier. But this is also the word of God to us. Where in our life are we robbing God? Let's start with this clearly, the tithe. And we don't, I'm not going to go into a whole teaching about how we get the tithe and the 10% and all that. But tithing is typically 10% of your money. Before you give it to anything else, you put your tithe in the church. And let me explain why we put it in the church. The next verse. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. So what does that mean? What that means is, if you come here week after week, and somebody's preaching up here, and you're like, man, the preaching's just terrible. I feel like I never get fed by the stuff that I hear in church. Maybe, this is a real, I'm stepping out on a limb here, maybe it's because you're not tithing. And you're not bringing food into his house, and so he can't feed you. Now, that's a real challenge, and I'm not saying that about any particular person. But I'm saying when I was thinking about tithing, that stood out to me. I want to be fed by the house of the Lord. I want to hear the word of the Lord for my life. I want my leaders to be able to speak into my life and guide me and direct me. And part of that is connected to me putting my money where my mouth is, right? I say that God is my provider, but if I'm not willing to give him 10% and trust him with the 90% I have left, then am I really believing that God is 10% or that God is my provider, that he can make up that 10%? And there's the promise, though. This is the great thing about the Bible. You get, you get the stick and then you get the carrot, right? It's perfectly balanced. But here's the promise. It's like you can be cursed with a curse if you don't want to trust God with your finances or put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. I, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. Hallelujah. I want that. I want the windows of heaven to open in this church on our lives. I don't want there to be any more need. I want God to provide out of his abundance of riches, out of his glory. He promises us all scripture. He wants to do that. And one of the keys to unlocking that we see in this passage is to put the money where it belongs. That 10% belongs to God. It's a hard word. It's not an easy word. And some people will disagree with me about the percentage points and all that stuff, and fine. I'm not really interested in a theological debate. The point that I'm interested in is that God wants your heart to say, 
God is my provider. And when you hold on to your money and you're afraid to give it to him, what you're telling him with your actions is I don't trust you. He's inviting us to test him. All throughout scriptures, don't test God. In this, he says, test me. Test me if your generosity won't lead to open heavens and abundant provision. Test me in this. All right, a couple more things. Remember that stuff about feeding the birds and clothing the lilies of the field? Jesus is talking to us in the Sermon on the Mount again, and he says, don't worry about what you will eat or what you will wear. Basically, don't worry about money is what he's saying, right? Because how do you get food and clothing? You get it with money. He says, don't worry about that. I feed the birds and I clothe the lilies. Don't worry about possessions. And Luke has a different version of that verse we read earlier about put your treasure where your treasure is, your heart is. And I want to read that to you because it really puts a point on what we're talking about here. After he says these things about don't be anxious, I feed the birds, I clothe the lilies, of course I'll take care of you. Then Jesus continues in Luke, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I wish I could preach a whole sermon on that. It's like, God, Jesus' heart for us, fear not. He knows what you're going through. And he still says, fear not. Because it is our Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. That's a promise beyond bounds. 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. We're continuing this logic here. Fear not. God's going to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old. With a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's another hard word. Sell your possessions and give to those who need. So we talked about bringing the tithes into the church. Talk about offerings. One thing that God wants us to do is he wants us to give to those who need, who lack. Now I'll say one thing, because it's not always about money, right? It's a lot about money, but it's not always. There have been times where many people, I could list six or seven people who have donated so much time to help my wife do her work at home and to watch my son Rowan. And I can't tell you how grateful I am for that. They're giving to the needy in that case. Trust me, we need help with Rowan and Ruby. And there's something about that where it's like, if we just stopped and ask God, where do I need to give to the needy in my life? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so what those people are telling me by donating that time is that they treasure me and Haley and Rowan and Ruby. They treasure us. And so they're investing in us. What if we did that for each other? What if we were a church who was known by the way that we loved one another? What if we were a church who treasured each other? And trust me when I say, we're already there, right? We already are good at that. I've been so blessed by everyone in this room. But there's always a further up and further in with God. He has more to unlock in our lives, more to pour out on our lives, more blessings, more abundance. So because we know that God is our provider, we can give and invest in his kingdom. All right, we've got more things here. Let me see what we want to do. All right, I'm just going to read this verse. I won't even talk about it because it just emphasizes what we've been talking about all morning. Luke chapter 6, 38. 
This is all in that same talk that Jesus is talking about, right? He says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So this is where I'm changing from give to like this. What does it mean really to give, right? Well, with the measure you give, it will be given back to you. So that means like if I'm going to give and I'm doing this math, I want to give a lot so I can get a lot, right? That's kind of the selfish way of looking at it. But there is something about that where God wants our hearts to be generous givers, to not just give out of our abundance, to put the point on it more Succinctly, Jesus says in chapter 21 of Luke, he looks up and he sees the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So given, it will be given to you, shake down, pouring over in good measure. The measure you use will be measured back to you. And then Jesus says this, don't just give out of your abundance. That's a challenge for each and every one of us. There's no amount of money you can make that will outpace the call of God in your life to give. That's why when we talk about giving, we often talk about percentages rather than amounts. Because you know what? It's not about whether this church has millions of dollars. It's about whether you've given out of your heart. It's whether you've said to God, I trust you with my life. That's why we talk about 10% in the tithe. And then your offerings is whatever is above that. Whatever God has led you to give above that. But I challenge you, think about a percentage when you're thinking about your offering. If you've got your tithe down, you're like, yeah, I'm a master tither, you know. Well, maybe God wants you to give out of your need, not just out of your abundance, right? You've figured out how to tithe. You can afford it. But it sounds like God is pleased when somebody gives even more than they can afford. So that's just a challenge to think about. It's not a guilt trip. It's not a manipulative thing. It's just where does God want to press you? Because I guarantee you that he is more interested in bringing you to the next level of where he's called you to be than he is in the amount of money that goes in the bank every Wednesday or uh, Sunday that goes into the church, right? In all of this, throughout the whole thing, he makes all these promises. And my point is, you can trust him. And that's what Jesus' point is too, right? Don't put your treasure on earth where the stock market and thieves and the government can steal, right? Put your money where God can take it, right? It's not the actual dollars. It's a symbol of your devotion to him. So ask him what he wants you to give. All right, let's see where we're at here. Three rules of giving, and we'll close up. I'm going to start, I'm going to do these backwards, Katie. (laughs) We just talked about giving a percentage of your money. So that's a rule, right? It's just a wisdom rule. Think about it. See how that plays in. And you know what? If God tells you, give a certain amount and not a percentage, nobody here is going to judge you for that. It's what God wants you to do with your money. We don't get a choice in that, right? Maybe God says, I don't want you to give 10%. I want you to give $10,000. I'm happy if you give $10,000. We're all good. No, I'm just kidding. But the point is, right, the percentage is about your heart. It's about saying, I'm going to give in trust to him. So we can talk more about that if you would like. But we're going to move on to plan your giving. That's number two. It's time we're going backwards up this list. 
What planning your giving does is it tells God that he's the priority in your budget. Something you care about, you plan for. I plan to pay my cell phone bill because I care about my cell phone. And if I don't plan to pay my cell phone bill, then my cell phone turns off, and then I'm really sad. When giving is about this spontaneous emotion, then we're really giving like children. And we might give a lot, but we're not giving like mature Christians, right? God is calling us to actually write him into the plan of our life. There's nothing wrong with spontaneous giving. But the point is, what we pay attention to, what we plan for, that's a part of treasuring God. I, it's harder for me to set aside time to plan for giving than it is for me to pull out my wallet and put maybe even more money into the basket. That's easier for me personally because I don't like sitting down and looking at my budget and planning it out and balancing the checkbook. I really don't. But that's part of what God's calling us to do in our maturity as we handle our money. He wants us to grow to the point where he is a part of our plan. And then number one, give in your place of worship as an act of worship. In a world that's full of pleas for your money, I want to argue that the biblical way of giving has to do with giving in your place of worship as an act of worship. And there's two brief stories, and then we'll be done. First of all, well, the first one's more of a callback. Remember in Malachi when we talked about bringing the food into the storehouse, that there might be food in his house? That's exactly what he's saying. They may have been giving their money to lots of different things, different idols, different gods, different. They might have even been giving their money to the poor. But God made a particular request that they give money in his house. And then secondly, I just want to talk as we close this about the woman who anoints Jesus at Bethany. It is a beautiful story. We're not even going to read it. I'm just going to paraphrase. But you have this woman, and in one of the tellings of this story, Jesus basically says, those who've been forgiven much love much. So we know that this girl had been rife with brokenness and sin. And God was saying it's out of the abundance of forgiveness that she's felt for that sin that this overflow of this offering came. That's a key, right? How you realize God has acted in your life, how he has provided for you, is part of the overflow that leads us to generosity. But also, where did she pour out her offering? Her year's wages worth of perfume. Imagine this. She comes in and she's got $50,000 perfume and she just breaks it on Jesus and anoints his head. And then she weeps on his feet and cleans it with her hair. It's this act of extravagant worship that If I'm being honest, if I saw it, it would make me so uncomfortable. Because, like, we don't, you don't do this garish display of affection on this. Like, just what, what is going on here, Jesus? Plus, then you start to rationalize your discomfort. And you say, well, plus she could have used that money to give it to the poor. There's a lot of people who need that money. What is she doing? But Jesus rebukes them, right? She has done a beautiful thing. Because she gave as an act of worship in her place of encountering Jesus. And that's what I want to argue we are all called to do. Of course you give to the poor. Absolutely. That's a call. That's a real blessing when you can do that, when you can provide for the needy. But there's a first and foremost, a seek first the kingdom, where you actually give it as an act of worship in your place of worship and encountering Jesus. Be like this woman. Jesus, I love what Jesus says, right? He says, wherever they tell the gospel, her story will be told. 
man, I want to be talked about for eternity because I was so generous in my dealings with Jesus. I want to pour out my offering to him. And the last thing, it's not just about money. Really what she's doing is an act of pouring out her life for Jesus. And that's what we're all called to do. If you got nothing about money out of this sermon, if you get the, I'm going to pour out my life for Jesus, the money's just a part of that. We're called to pour out our life for Jesus. All right, let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this word that you've given us this morning. I pray that you would guide it into our hearts that we might be transformed by the Holy Spirit. I pray that it wouldn't be about the words that I said particularly, but about the movement of the Spirit in this room that changes and shapes our hearts and calls us to a deeper relationship with you. And I pray that you give us just a a revelation of the goodness of your heart towards us, because I believe that it's the depth of our trust in your goodness that frees us to be generous in all of our time and money and in our life, laying it down for you. Give us a revelation of who you are today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us pray for the church and for the world. Father, we pray for your holy Catholic church, that we all may be one. Grant that every member of the church may truly and humbly serve you. That your name may be glorified by all people. We pray for all bishops, priests, and deacons. That they may be faithful ministers of the word and silence. We pray for all who govern and hold authority in the nations of the world. That there may be justice and peace on the earth. Give us grace to do your will in all that we undertake. That our works may find favor in your sight. Have compassion on those who suffer from any grief or trouble. That they may be delivered from their distress. Give to the departed eternal rest. That life perpetual shine upon them. We praise you for your saints who have entered into joy. May we also come to share in your heavenly kingdom. Heavenly Father, you promise to hear what we ask in the name of your Son. Accept and fulfill our petitions, we pray, not as we ask in our ignorance, nor as we deserve in our sinfulness, but as you know and love us in your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. And with your spirit. Turn and greet your neighbor with the peace. Good word. I'll tell you, I've had a couple difficult weeks, and man, did I want to get back to church. (laughs) There's no place like the house of the Lord. And uh, those are the reasons. You know, it's the old saying, no pain, no gain. Amen. But, uh, you know, you you reap what you sow, and and our giving is so, so important to what it creates in the uh, environment that we live in. And uh, 
what a great place it is here at St. Michael's. Amen. Anyway, I'm on the mend, and uh, just keep praying for me that uh, it continues in the right direction. I'm sure it will. Amen. Amen. All right, let us pray for our offering. As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God.
have these tithes and offerings we bring before you. They will be used in your church for the work you've set before us in the furthering of your kingdom. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of all creation. Through your goodness we have this bread and offer which earth is given and human hands have made. It will become for us the body of Christ. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of all creation. Through your goodness we have this wine offer for the divine work of human hands. It will become for us the blood of God. The Lord be with you. With your spirit. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Father, all powerful and ever living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through his cross and resurrection, he freed us from sin and death and called us to the glory that has made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart. Everywhere we proclaim your mighty works, for you have called us out of darkness into your own wonderful light. And so with all the choirs of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory and join in their unending hymn of praise, saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Lord, you are holy indeed, the fountain of all holiness. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts and make them holy that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he was given up to death, the death he freely accepted, he took bread. He gave you thanks. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. When supper was ended, he took the cup. Again, he gave you thanks and praise. Gave the cup to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Let us proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love together with our patriarch, Craig, our Bishop Douglas, and all the clergy. Remember those for whom we now pray. Olivia, Connie, Susan, Carl, Serena, Naomi, Rachel, Nadia, Kyle, Sonia, Sandra, Maria, Karen, Father David and Darcy, Tammy, Thomas, Michael, Sherry, Kyla, Dan, the Oki family, the Alcarez family, Bishop Davidson, the Landon family, the Marines and sailors of Camp Pendleton and all those who serve in our military. You can add the names of the people you're praying for. Remember those for whom we now pray. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and broken. As we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ of the world. Have mercy on us all. 
Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles, martyrs, and all the saints. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him, with him, and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and so we have the courage to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the peace. Hallelujah. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Jesus died for you and feed on him in your hearts with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to his supper. The body of Christ, the blood of Christ. Sure. 
Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in the battle and be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world, seeking the ruin of our souls. Remember the gospel, God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world, not counting men's sins against him. He loves us. He's forgiven us. He's not mad at us. And he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus, we love.